Word Radio On Demand, 96.1 FM and 900 AM WURD. Streaming live at wordradio.com. It's time. It's time to have real, honest, open, difficult, and inspiring conversations. It's time for Love and Life on WURD, Progressive Black Talk Media. I want you to meet, you know, I always want you to meet some fascinating and phenomenal individuals. Well, tonight is no different. Our guest in this hour is a writer and a journalist. He's the author of the book, Among the Bros, a fraternity crime story. I don't know what's going with my mouth tonight. It's fighting me. It's fighting me. (laughs) In any event, it is a book that details a story about Greek life on college campuses. So. In 2018, Max did a story on the campus of the College of Charleston. He went there to investigate a small-time trafficking ring uh, within a a specific Greek fraternity, that is. But as he started reporting, it became clear that the scope of the crimes was far bigger than what was made public. So Max is here to talk with us and share with us. And when I tell you that I can't wait to hear this story and get into this and share it with you, Well, that's what I mean. So family, I invite you to the conversation with Max Marshall. Hi there, Max, and welcome. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Well, we're happy to have you. We're we're so happy to have you. I, you know, I was reading, uh, when I was reading the information that was shared with us, I said, okay, I can't wait to get into this conversation. I cannot wait because it it feels to me, and, and from what I just shared, that you were you were on one path, and then it was just like like the floodgates opened. Absolutely, yeah. So when I came down to the College of Charleston in, in Charleston, South Carolina, in 2018, like you said, um, I thought I was just investigating a crime ring of these guys who got caught with 44,000 Xanax pills. Um, I wanted I wanted to write about Xanax on college campuses. I'd seen a lot of it when I was in school. Okay. Um, I was in a fraternity and I was kind of shocked how much it was sort of this party drug because, you know, Xanax is designed as a anti-anxiety tranquilizer. People take it for panic attacks or on on plane flights, but it's actually a really popular party drug in fraternities. And so I thought, wow, 44,000 pills, that's kind of a lot. And uh, I started to investigate and a defense lawyer let it slip that uh, not only had they been caught with 44,000 Xanax pills, they'd also been caught with... Um, about a dozen pounds of marijuana, a few pounds of cocaine, an assault rifle with a grenade launcher, a few other assault rifles, and three and a half million Xanax pills. And okay, wait, yeah, Max. Okay, first of all, first of all, I hate to interject, but before we dig into all of this, I I do want our family members to know just a little bit about you first before we because this right here. I'm not going to let you go because I want to know every single detail, but I do want our family members yeah, sure, to get sure. to know you too. Yeah, yeah, so would, you, would you, would you start by telling us just a little bit about you? Sure. Yeah. So I grew up in Texas um, and then went to college in New York and after college um, lived in Vietnam, Hanoi, Vietnam for a year. And I was working as an investigative journalist there. That's kind of where I learned how to do this job. I was investigating, um, Basically, international drug trafficking through Southeast Asia, these like cartels that were 
part Canadian, part Vietnamese, and they were connected to El Chapo, and they were moving drugs kind of all over the world. And it got me interested in, in these kind of stories. And I, I started thinking about my own life. And like I said, I was in a fraternity when I was in college. And I grew up in Texas where Greek life is huge. And, you know, my parents mm-hmm. were in it, all, all my friends were in it. And I had seen really just too many friends kind of lose their way um, sure. to, to Xanax specifically. It's uh, People didn't know when they got to college, but it's, it's one of two drugs that's so addictive you can die from withdrawals. Um, you, you can have a seizure just from trying to quit it. And, and yeah, I just felt like people really hadn't been warned. And so that's kind of, you know, my part of the story was I, I wish my friends had been warned and they hadn't. And so kind of combining those two things, the kind of drug, uh, investigations I had done and the sort of personal story I had in, in Greek life, I was kind of thought, okay, well, how could I write a story? about Xanax on colleges, but make it mm-hmm. like this sort of page turning investigative crime story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I found this really very crazy story of these guys and these fraternities, you know, with millions of pills. And then I found there's a murder and, you know, students who had died of overdoses and all these things. And ultimately the big kind of twist at the end is that these guys who are from very sort of wealthy backgrounds, basically all of them got away with it. There's only one boy from the drug ring who's in jail now. Everyone else got suspended sentences, probation. The fraternities were allowed to remain on campus. And so... Um, what? Yeah, it's... Okay. okay. Yeah, sorry. Okay. I know it's, it's a no, lot wait. to get into, but luckily we got some time, but yeah. Wait, no, Matt. Yeah, yeah. Oh my, no, I'm glad that you're sharing all of this because the, the hour goes by so quickly. So For I'm sure. glad that you did. But you, I'm listening to you talk about two things. I'm living vicariously through you because I <laughs> promise you I, that's what I'd be doing as a journalist. But um, you you look like a baby. I'm saying you, you were what? You did what? You lived here, you lived there, and... How did this story come to you? The story uh, uh, that, you know, everything that was taking place on this campus in Charleston, how did that come to you? So, yeah, I am the same age as all the guys in the story. I was in college from 2012 to 2016. And in about 2017, I was trying to think of, you know, okay, how can I write about Xanax on college campuses? And I did the very uh, investigative journalist thing of Googling uh, Xanax bust fraternity. And the first was, result was a, an article about this drug ring, but it said they had only been caught with 44,000 pills. And then when I found out it was closer to 3 million and, uh, a, you know, a student had been murdered and, you know, there are all these deaths. And that's when I kind of, I realized this is a, a story that needs to be told and somebody really needs to look into this stuff. Absolutely. So, uh, okay, so many more questions now. Sure. How, uh, was was anyone uh, prosecuted for the, the death of the student? Yeah, and so that that's the sort of other part of this is, you know, I, in a city like Charleston, you mm-hmm. know, it's more intense than even other American cities. Race is a big part of this story. All the boys in the drug ring were, you know, white fraternity guys from sort of old Southern families for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, but... The, the boy who had been murdered, um, the, the people who were prosecuted for, for, for killing this guy in his annex robbery, they were from West Ashley, which is the other side of the river in Charleston. And it's a completely mm. different world. And they, they were, you know, young black guys, same age as all the guys in this, this book. They were in their early twenties. And 
ultimately, even though there are sort of all these theories about the murder actually being a hit or all these other things, they sort of narrowed in on this one guy who was the driver um, who no one believes pulled the trigger. Um, but because he was the driver and there's something called the hand of one principle in American law, if you and I, you know, if Max and Carol robbed a bank together and you were the the getaway driver and I went and I, you know, shot the, the bank teller, they could put mm-hmm. both of us in jail for murder. Um, because the hand of one is the hand of all. And that's what they used gotcha. here. Basically the, the getaway driver is in jail for the sentence he received was life plus 30. So he's, you know, he's in jail for the rest of his life without parole. Um, just he, the getaway driver. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Okay. And, and, and how is that? So just the driver? We, yeah. It's, it's really unbelievable. And, you know, it's the books about a lot of things and, you know, in some ways it's just, it's this crazy party story. It's this crazy crime story, but it's also about mm-hmm. how there really are two justice systems in America. Mm-hmm. And you really see it, you know, if you can pay to have the best lawyers, Mm-hmm. It's a completely different thing because, you know, I, in especially kind of in, in the South where I'm from, if you have the kind of lawyer who's a member of the country club with the judge who plays golf mm-hmm. with the judge who goes sailing with the judge or, or whatever it is, it's going to be a very different experience than if you have a public defender who, you know, has two dozen cases on their docket and, you know, it's just yeah. trying to get everyone to plea because, you know, that's really all they can afford to to do. You know, first of all, I'm digesting everything sure, that sure. you just shared. It's, that is yeah. so much. Yeah. Um, what I will do, though, is take a moment to go to our family members, uh, because I'm sure family, I'm sure that you are digesting this, too, and that you have comments. Uh, Malcolm. Hi there. Malcolm is joining us. Malcolm White. He shares a half million Xanax pills and an M. Uh, listen, and a rifle. I, I just, when you said that, first of all, I, of course, there's so much going on in this world in which we live that I sure. don't know how anything continues to surprise me because, but everything seems to, that everything Definitely. that you hear, Definitely. yeah, you, you know, seems to be bigger than the last thing yeah. that, um, that you hear. Malcolm shares that he's still tripping. He, he shares that he came in at the tail end of this conversation. Yeah. You know, we do recognize that. And there are two different justice systems. We know. We we we've been aware for yeah. quite yeah, some yeah. time. It's more like <laughs> people on the other side are only just becoming aware. Yeah. 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 But it it amazes me how it still is. Yeah. How, how it is still able to be when there are so many of us that are aware. There are so many. I I, I just don't really understand when we have allies. You know how. It continues, how it's able to continue. And I'm, I'm sure that that question is one that we will continue to discuss until things change. Sure. But um, so here you come from Vietnam. Here you come. Wait, here you come here to Texas. Yeah. Well, you're from Texas. And here yeah, you yeah. come to Charleston and you yeah. for this drug trafficker trafficking. uh uh, the, the 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 weapons the the drugs the the murder the and it doesn't sound to me like anything changed no i i, I don't really think so um 
like I said, you know, so the two main fraternities involved um, were the Kappa Alpha Order and SAE. And these are two very old Southern fraternities. They were both founded right when the Civil War ended. Basically, both were founded right in the 1860s uh, as ways Mm -hmm. of sort of keeping the Southern way of life alive. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're both very powerful. They've had alumni and, you know, the Senate, uh, Supreme Court justices, CEOs. um, And... Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of money is in the Greek system. I think seventy over seventy percent of every dollar given to colleges comes from Greek life alumni. So it shows you it's really where like the elite congregate. They go there to to drink together and meet each other, haze each other, and then ultimately, you know, help each other out in the world. And when all this happened, and you know, with the pills and the guns and the murder and everything, at mm-hmm. the end of it. One fraternity, KA, they had to leave campus for four years and then they came back. And then SAE never left campus at all. They were just allowed to stay on campus. And I, it's still true right now, you know, even after the book came out. Mm-hmm. So um, it's, mm. a, it's a system that's very, very powerfully resistant to change. Absolutely. Well, that, that's across the board. Across the board, unfortunately. Family, hey there. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And thank you for joining us. You are tuned in to Love and Life right here on WURD. For those of you who have just come into the room, I know, I can tell. Mouths are open wide. They're just on the floor. I can tell. I can tell. Because you're listening to Max share this, 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 this incredible story. Well, guess what? We're going to take just a short commercial break, but note that the phone lines are open. And feel free to continue to comment on our socials. You know you are invited to this conversation. So welcome to Love and Life. Welcome to the conversation. Stay with us because we're coming right back. You're listening to Love and Life with Carol Riddick on WURD, Progressive Black Talk Media. Hey there, family. Welcome back. You are tuned in to Love and Life with yours truly, Carol Riddick, right here on WURD. We are talking with Max Marshall, and he is the author of the book titled Among the Bros, A Fraternity Crime Story. Now, if you have just tuned in, let me tell you something. Heavens to Murgatroyd. You've missed a lot. You've missed a lot. (laughs) But guess what? Max is still here. And he's going to bring us up to speed. I do want to take a moment to go to our socials and share that our family members, they are talking. And I love it. I love it. Henry, I see you clowning me. Henry said that I was busting a move at my concert. Yes, I was. Don't you clown at my moves. (laughs) I do what I can. Okay, I do what I can. (laughs) And Tony Ward is checking in. Hi there, Tony. He's sharing that he's how he hopes we all have had a prosperous, successful, safe, and blessed new year and beyond. Hey there, cousin. Hi there. And Gregory Riddick, my other cousin. Hey there, cuz. Saying hi. He's checking us out. Malcolm is sharing that he's watching and listening from West Mount Avery. You know, I look for that every day, right, Malcolm? You know, I look for that. I need you to tell me that you are watching and listening from West Mount Avery. (laughs) And Eric has a question. He shares, hi there. I'm just tuning in. Good evening, Max. Welcome to the WURD family. At any point, by exposing this heinous crime, did you feel that your life or the lives of others would be in major jeopardy? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely was afraid at a few points. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the student who's murdered, Patrick Moffley, 
they found his body surrounded by all these fake Xanax pills um, on the first Friday of spring break. And he was lying on the floor holding a, a Chipotle napkin to the bullet hole in his chest. And um, mm. ultimately, in spite of the people that they did put in prison or the, the one man they put in prison, there were all these other theories about, you know, was it a hit? Um, Patrick himself, when he was lying dead, you know, gave two names of who he said robbed him and only one of the people is in prison now. And so, mm. you know, I definitely were, there, I, there were people who were, you know, told me I should lay low or be, or be careful. Um, but ultimately when you're dealing with fraternity guys, more what you're worried about is lawsuits or, mm. you know, them trying to slander you, hurt your reputation and, you know, yeah. do something like go on my Goodreads reviews and you mm-hmm. know, try to write as many mean things as possible. Or, and that's something that I, I have seen. Um, but these are, these are guys that are more likely to resort to that sort of uh, way of influence or punishment than, than, than maybe violence. Mm. Oh my goodness. I just, well, I'm challenged with it, with it all. And I'm fearful for you because well, this is a lot. Yeah. Um, Ms. Lily is joining us as well. Welcome. She's sharing happy hump day with all of us. And uh, Henry shares What is really bad is when black judges and district attorneys cave in and do the same thing. Yeah, I can can only imagine how deep and how thick the system is and how, uh, you know, how how attached it has become. Miss Julie. Hi there, beloved. She shares heavens to Murgatroyd. Same here. A true situation. Max Marshall, you are phenomenal to be able to tell it after living through it yourself or someone else's real experience. Well, thank, thank you so you. much. That, that means a lot. Yeah. I, I'm, so I'm curious to know, since with all of the information you found, how were how were they able to distribute the, the narcotics? How, how did they sure. distribute them? So, yeah, I mean, it was a really big time ring. So they were using something called the dark web, which is basically an internet browser that pings your location all around the world. So if I'm sitting here using it in Texas... It'll send it to a server in Australia and then a server in Croatia and then a server in Saudi Arabia. And so the the police can't tell where you are. And so once you're on this thing, there's basically like the it's kind of like Amazon for illegal things. And you can just order stuff shipped to you. And so what these kids would do is they would buy Alprazolam powder, which is what you use to make Xanax from China. And it would get shipped from China, hidden in basically printer cartridges shipped to South Carolina. And then these students would rent beach houses outside Charleston, a different beach house every month. And they had an industrial pill press and they would press out hundreds of thousands of fake Xanax pills that they themselves made. And then they would heat seal the pills in, you know, uh, chip bags or Skittles bags. So they would empty out a Skittles bag, fill it with Xanax and then heat seal it. And then they would use the fraternity system and these fraternity pledges, which are kind of the freshmen who have to run lots of errands. They would send these pledges out to colleges all over the South. And doing this, they were able to traffic ultimately millions of pills. So, okay, family, you see me here, you see me trying to process all of this because typically when we think of college campuses and what takes place as it pertains to fraternities and sororities is hazing. 
that, that's the extent of what we think. And, and no one really knows all of what uh, takes place in hazing. You know, we know there's a, you know, there have been some lines crossed. We do know that, but we don't really know. We don't really know, you know, what takes place. But here, what was your first reaction when you, when you learned about the, nar- the narcotic network? Well, yeah, I mean, I think like you, I kind of thought, oh, well, n- you know, nothing can shock me at this point. I've seen it all. And, you know, and I had seen some pretty crazy hazing, you know, and, and personally, I'd seen some pretty crazy hazing. My friends had gone through even crazier hazing. Mm-hmm. And then in the book, you know, I, I talked to a student who was waterboarded while he was hazed. So I thought, you know, oh, I've kind of seen it all. Um, but then the more and more I learned about this drug ring, the more my head kind of expanded and <laughs> exploded because right. I was... I was, yeah, I mean, it's kind of beyond belief a little bit, you know. Uh, Well, I'm going to ask you for our family members who are unaware. Can you please explain what waterboarding is? Sure. So um, waterboarding is something that the U.S. government got in a lot of trouble for doing during the Iraq war. Um, Basically, you you lay someone on their back, you put a towel over their mouth and you pour water. And it doesn't seem like that would be that bad. But basically, it tricks your body into thinking you're drowning. And so you start to have these convulsions and uh, even some of the people who who planned the 9-11 attack, they got waterboarded and they could only last like 90 seconds to two minutes. So it really is, it's torture. Um, but yeah, I talked to an SAE at the College of Charleston who got waterboarded and and kind of said it was torture. It was the worst thing he ever went through. But also he was so proud to be an SAE that he would, he would do it again. Oh my gosh. So no, I read that. You interviewed over 120 people who were connected yeah. to the case. How easy or difficult was it to get them to participate? It was it was really difficult at first. Mm-hmm. Um, there's such a closed system. It's kind of what you're saying about, you know, hazing. No one wants to, if you're in this sort of cone of secrecy, you're in the cone of secrecy and you don't share. Um, but I think when people learned that I was also from that world, um, and that I wanted to get the word out about Xanax and, you know, cause all these guys had also lost friends to, to overdoses. Mm. Um, I think that kind of started to open people up. And then honestly, when, uh, Sony pictures options, the story to be a movie, then all of a sudden everyone wanted to talk cause they all wanted to play themselves in the movie. And so that oh. very much changed things. Um, but, but yeah, the first really kind of six months I was kind of knocking on a lot of a lot of proverbial doors and getting a lot of silence. Mm, I'm sure. I'm sure. We are such a vain society. I can't stand it. I yeah. cannot stand it. it. Oh my I mean, when the second someone hears Hollywood, their whole personality changes. I, I mean, drastically, yeah. drastically. Yeah. Oh my Funny. goodness. Miss Julie shares, that would be a diff- such a difficult book to read. She felt awful when a father sought to call attention to the loss of his son locally from time to time. She said, we read of those tragedies. Um, You know, it. so here I am because I actually went to school for journalism as well. So this is of interest to me because I was planning to be an anchor woman. I was planning to do what you did. So I was planning and I'm only sharing that just for point of information, family. So, you know, so you don't say, okay, Carol's crazy. (laughs) She likes all of this stuff. Carol just has an interest Quite honestly, um, and even more of an interest because of what's going on in the world. But um, Malcolm shares, please be safe, Max. 
Be safe. Just be safe. He shares what you're talking about is a military torture tactic. Yeah. And uh, Miss Julie shares that she really wants to believe that the fraternity was shut down. That's diabolical. And she follows that by writing that that's not representative of fraternal brotherly love. Definitely. It's just it. it and um, Malcolm says there's even a series on Netflix called Dope that talks about the dark web and how yeah. drugs are ordered and made. OK, so let's see. Let me write that down because, see, here I am. I'm on my investigative journalist, <laughs> you know. Once you so, start, it's hard to stop. Yeah, the question. Really, you go down the rabbit hole. You really go down the rabbit hole. You do. Yeah, it's crazy. So do you believe this to be uh, like a, a, a one-time ring college campus incident, or do you believe there to be uh, more or one of many? No, I think if, if anything, it's more of a culture than a single ring. Um only a few years after this ring got busted, there was a ring of basically the same size at UNC and Duke. And they were doing all the same things, dark web, ordering things through the mail, using GroupMe, which is a big group text app that the boys in the other ring use. And it was all through the fraternities. So really kind of the same thing. Um, and even of the guys in you know Charleston, uh, there were dozens and dozens who were doing this, ordering on the dark web and, and selling Xanax. Uh, eight were arrested and, and only one is, is still in jail. So, it, you know, it's kind of whack-a-mole in terms of trying to get the, the people involved. But I would say most, most of them never got in trouble. Yeah, because I'm listening to you share this. Uh, after the arrests were made, the, you know, a lot of the boys were well, thinking because it could not have just have been the boys that were involved, which speaks volumes, talking about how there was only one person that was arrested and the uh, the fraternities were allowed to come back. Yeah. <laughs> and then you, you also, you know, in the, the comment about fraternal love, you know, yeah, all these guys had made an oath to each other. And then when the arrest started, basically immediately, they all started wearing wires on each other and kind of flipping on each other. And, and the one boy who was in jail is in jail. He was never caught with any drugs, but his best friend who was president of the fraternity wore a wire on him and basically mm. got him to talk about their drug dealing together and, you know, betrayed his, his best friend and did the best friend went to jail and the, the guy who wore the wire got a, a much more sort of lenient sentence. Um, so but yeah, a lot of those mm. principles of fraternal love were really tested and, and, and sadly didn't really uphold. And, and, and yeah, it's, it was, it's a, it's a tragic story in that way. This is all a tragedy. Yeah. So how were you able to find out about the murder that took place? So, yeah. So the the murder got some media attention at the time because it was the son of a, a pretty prominent real estate developer. And his mom had run for Congress and was on the school board in Charleston. So it was kind of a big Charleston family. Um, what I didn't realize until I started investigating was the extent to which basically... The boy who was murdered, Patrick Moffley, he was part of this drug ring. He was someone who would take, he would wear a, a Tyvex suit, like, you know, a hazmat kind of suit. Sure. And, and he would empty out the Skittles bags and, and put pills in them for this drug ring. And then he got arrested with some cocaine and people were afraid he was going to flip. And maybe that's why he died. People still don't know. But ultimately, mm-hmm. when they found his body surrounded by all these pills, that's how... The FBI got involved. That's how the DEA got involved. The U.S. Postal Service got involved. Something I mm-hmm. learned while doing this book is 
a DEA agent told me that the Postal Service is the biggest drug trafficker in the world. Um, people ship pills and, and money using the Postal Service every day. Um, and so, yeah, it was really the, the murder that led the police to sort of find all this to begin with. So carried away. Welcome. If you've just joined us, if you have just joined us, you're tuned in to Love and Life right here on WURD, Progressive Black Talk Media on air and online at wordradio.com. We are talking with Max Marshall. He is the author of the book titled Among the Bros, a fraternity crime story. Now, what I've not yet asked you, Max, is to tell us how we can purchase your book, where we can find it. So I'm going to ask you that before we go to commercial break. I'm going to ask you again before you leave us. But if you would share that information with us, now, before we go to commercial, would you tell us from where we can? Sure. Where we yeah. Can... I mean, you can get it Amazon, Barnes and Noble. You can get the audio book on Audible. Um, also on Spotify. You can get it on mm-hmm. Kindle. You can get it wherever books are sold. But if you just Google among the bros book, you'll, you'll be able to find it. Mm. Family. So you know where to find it. And Max is going to tell us again a little later when we come back from commercial break. It's time for us to take just a short commercial break, but know that you are always invited to join the conversation. You can do so by giving us a call. And you can also share a comment on our socials. And I promise I will do my best to read it aloud. Um, Smitty is checking in saying, hello, everyone. Eric shares that it sounds like you received more misery and persecution than the actual perpetrators. I, I That sounds about right to me too. Um, Heather Wilson is joining us and she shares, hello, word family. Um, when we come back from commercial break family, we're going to go to our phone lines first and uh, find out more about all of this interesting experience that Max is sharing. So family, stay with us because we'll be right back. You're listening to Love and Life on WURD, Progressive Black Talk Media. I think I know. Well, Lady family, welcome back. You are tuned in to Love and Life right here on WURD. We are talking with Max Marshall. He is the author of the book titled Among the Bros, a fraternity crime story. Well, he has shared a lot. As promised, um, I shared before the commercial break that we would go to our phone lines when we return. So we're going to do just that. We have Rick from Germany joining us on line one. Hi, Rick, and Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to the both of you. Thank you. Um, I, uh, I haven't heard of your book. But uh, I will investigate and uh, check my local bookstore. Um, half the story of what was done to Hitler and the Nazis in Europe has never been told. The rise of psychology and psychiatry in Austria and Bavaria, Germany. Um, what did you find of wealthy white men? in relation to these fraternity brothers? So just to understand the question that you're asking, um, were these fraternity brothers wealthy white men? No, were they, were they misused by wealthy white men? Oh, interesting. Um, 
Well, you know, there, there's this entire sort of fraternal network um, of often wealthy, almost always white, and certainly always men um, in these fraternities. And, and yeah, it goes back generations. So it's, it really is from boys to men. Um, you know, the members are 18 to 22, but then there's father's weekend and they'll come in and barbecue. And then there's the sort of older alumni who come in and, um, you can look at, for instance, the KA called the Charleston chapter, and you can look at the photos from 1903 and you can look at the photos from, uh, 2016 and you see the same haircuts, the same racial makeup, you know, kids from the exact same kinds of families. So it really is this sort of uh, this lineage that goes back a very, very long time. I'll listen further. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rick, for calling in. Uh, we have Ron on line two. Hi there, Ron. Thank you for calling and Happy New Year to you. I'll be forever grateful. Let me start off with that. And Max, since you were talking about drugs, my question, I don't mean to sound like an oxymoron in these comments I'm about to make. What do you think about our health care drugs in this country under the administrations of President Obama and the administration of President Biden? That's very essential with health care. Drugs are very uh, important. That's done for the greater good, not recreation. My question once again to you, as you know, and I want to say this to Mr. Uh, Malcolm and all the people that are listening, and going into 2024, in our medical, in the medical institutions, that we're going to see a great spike and where people are constantly going there in our medical centers looking for help for different ailments. And of course, the drugs have a lot to do with that. I am saying this. I certainly hope that you guys will go take your tests, your primary person, and to make sure to get your blood tested because they can, you know, test and do different things and they can help you. So when I talk about drugs, sir, as I speak about, I've been very fortunate not to have to use a lot of them for myself, but other people certainly with the condition that they have need these drugs. And so what I am saying to you, sir, what do you think about our medical center? And I want to say something. I'll be forever grateful. The other day, I got about a, it's been about maybe three weeks or more. I got out of the hospital and I got pretty good health care. My health is pretty good, sir. But what does someone have given me that is more powerful than any drugs? And I'll be forever grateful. I know I'm, talk, I'm not trying to talk like Batman or Robin. I'll be forever grateful. For someone to be so thoughtful and so mindful to even make a recommendation to try to help me, it have already helped me, sir. And I know I'm, I know you don't know specifically what I'm standing, but to the receiver that is hearing this, every time that I begin to make progress along with other people, that person will always be remembered to help me walk. So my cup running board and I, I know that you bring these stories out, but we have to look at where we are today in the world. Look at the hospitals that's being bombed and all these, you know, things over there, the situation over there. This is where they need drugs over there to help those children and people like that. So Definitely. it's good to hear your story, sir. Good to hear your story. 
as a reminder, look where we have come from. My question to you, when you write a book on, even our country are facing difficult times and it's going, they're going to come. If we go back to the seven seals, and we see that, what would you recommendation? I mean, what recommendation would you make to the system to try to give us much better health care, sir? And you don't have to answer this as I get off. When we have other persons in this wonderful country that we're in, with obstacles, sir, to make sure that we can maintain health care for everyone, the seniors and all. But And one other thing, sir, we're very fortunate if you have a family member or someone that's not a family member that will care to look out for those well, I'm I'm so glad that you you got got some help, um, and certainly, you know, I think our healthcare system is one of the really one of the two or three sort of things in America that needs the most overhaul, that needs the most help, that needs the most sort of thoughtful change. Um, and there's obviously a million ways you can look at it, whether it's, you know, veterans health or uh, the uninsured or um, just the rising cost of prescription pills and care mm -hmm. testing. Mm -hmm. um, there's I mean, there's so much. But I do think in terms of this book, something I spend a lot of time thinking about is, yeah, just the amount of very addictive pharmaceuticals that are prescribed um, and just people end up with really bad dependencies. And I saw that mm -hmm. with Xanax, you know, Xanax has actually been, it's never been shown to help daily anxiety. It's very effective for panic attacks. But if you are someone who just has anxiety generally, um, it doesn't actually help. You feel better for the day and then you wake up mm -hmm. the next morning with worse anxiety than you had before. And so similar to opiates, it feels like something that really shouldn't be prescribed that often and has a mm -hmm. very specific use but it ends up getting prescribed for all sorts of problems and ultimately gets a lot of people addicted and dependent on these drugs. And of course the pharmaceutical companies make a lot of money off that, but there's so much suffering involved and it, that's just, yeah, I mean, it's really something that we need to figure out as a society mm -hmm. um, because it's uh, I, you'd be hard pressed to find someone besides a pharmaceutical rep who's, who's happy with the, the healthcare system in America. How about that? How about that? Ron, thank you. Rick, thank you. Max, thank you. I, I do have another question for you. One more question for you. And you mentioned about the firearm that you found. How were you able to find firearms? How did you come across the firearms? I'm so just curious. I, I, I didn't find the, the firearms myself. The I found a police report that they okay. had found the firearms. Okay. Um, but a lot of these guys did buy, you know, everything from pistols to assault rifles and some of them would have them in in sort of gun vaults in their dorms some mm -hmm. of them would keep them under their bed um one guy had a, a storage locker at a, a facility sort of on the other side of the river where he kept the the pills and also the assault rifle with a grenade launcher but the funny thing is it's you know it's not impossible to find a grenade launcher it's almost impossible to find grenades and so it was almost more like uh, something wow. for photos, you know, than it was something for actual uh, warfare. And also kind of tells you a little bit about, you know, these guys, I think. Mm. Malcolm shares that he can speak a little about the Postal Service. Sometimes 
Uh, we would spot suspicious packages and put them in a separate bin for the inspectors labeled target mail. Yeah, yeah I get that. That, that yeah. makes sense to me. But I'm curious to know the process, uh, you know, and then what? What happens after it's labeled target mail? What happens then? What's the next step in that? <laughs> and, it, and it's fascinating because, I mean, there's just so much mail going through the system every day as Malcolm mm-hmm. knows, you know, better than you or me even. And, but, you know, you just think of how much mail there is every day. Like, how could they ever hope to check everything or even right. to look at everything and know what, you know, what does suspicious mail look like? If it's just a package, it could have anything from, you know, a DVD to, because these guys would actually, they would hide Xanax pills inside DVD cases. And so if you saw, you know, a DVD case, well, why would you ever think to open it kind of thing? And You know, yeah. it's so interesting to me that if it, it sounds like the, the network was so, so large, yeah. The network of individuals that is, yeah. Uh, it amazes me that they they hid anything, that they attempted to hide anything. I'll, I'll say because, uh, you know, you're talking about students, you're talking about um, city officials, and and you know, you're talking about judges and and all kinds of things. And it, it just family. You know, I get, you know, when I can't speak, I'm totally beyond what I'm listening to and what I'm digesting and processing. So while I'm digesting and processing, Max, can you tell us one more time where we can buy, find your book? And do you have a website? Sure. So yeah, the book's called Among the Bros, a fraternity crime story. If you just Google Among the Bros, you'll, you'll find it. It's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, you know, Borders, local bookstores, Audible, Kindle, kind of wherever you can find books. Um, and then, yeah, you can find my website. It's max-marshall.com. And my email's on there. Feel free to reach out with any kind of questions or comments or anything. And yeah, we'd love to hear from you. I really, I just can't thank you enough for coming to spend some time with us. I am, I'm worried about you, Max. <laughs> Listen, I, I am because this is a lot. And the fact that, you know, legal action wasn't taken for a lot of these individuals and in, in the majority of these situations, it lets us know that, you know, it is still ongoing and it has probably grown, you know, I, I think it might be safe to believe that it had probably grown and it's still going on. So just be careful, Max, be careful, please Absolutely. be careful. Yeah. Oh, family. Hi there. Hey there. Hey there. Uh, welcome. If you just joined us, you, you're tuned in to love and life. We've been talking with Max Marshall in this hour, and he's the author of the book titled Among the Bros, a fraternity crime story. He shared with us his website, which is max, that was hyphen, marshall.com. Family, it's time for us to take a commercial break and to let Max go. Max, you're welcome to hang out if you'd like. We're going to have an open forum in the next hour, but if not, if you have to go, we understand that too. You've been listening to Word Radio On Demand. Listen live at 96.1 FM, 900 AM, and online at wordradio.com. 